Thank you, praise team. Thank you, kids. That thing's going to take it again. Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. It's been a good day so far. I tell you, I've really since God's presence here, haven't you? I mean, it just, just uh, some about a baby dedication and having our kids in here. Uh, they, they show us how to worship. And uh, I hope you've taken note. I expect next week to see some of you dancing around and running back and forth and just really enjoying worship together. It's family day. And, you know, I love, I love my family. It's been, a, it's been a great few weeks as Wyatt and Priscilla have moved back from, from Portland and good to have them back. And Priscilla actually has a job at Mount Vernon and so they'll probably be moving to Mount Vernon, but Mount Vernon's a lot closer than Portland, Oregon. And so Terry's okay, she gave permission and uh, so for them to do that. No, actually we encourage them wherever God leads them, but we're glad that they're, they're here. And so they're back, but the first week they were back, we were actually in um, Nashville Dylan and Dana live in Nashville, and Dylan had his drum recital, so we went down for the drum recital, and and we took my favorite family picture ever. Go ahead and show this. This is this is what our family looks like. Uh, you know, th- this is a perfect family picture for us. These posed pictures are not us, and I got to. I'm gonna blow this thing up and put this on our wall. It, it reflects who we are. We just, we just love to be together. We we laugh together. Uh, usually they're laughing at me, not with me, but, but we do laugh together. We have a great time together. And, and family's great, right? Family's great. But, but family can divide, uh, if, if we're honest. Anybody ever hear of a guy named um, uh, Bill uh, Shakespeare? Uh, you know, I think he wrote uh, some, some plays and stuff. Uh, William Shakespeare wrote a play called Romeo and Juliet. And of course, Romeo and Juliet is a story of family love, but the family love was so extreme that it kept Romeo and Juliet together. As a matter of fact, at the end of the play, uh, it's not a TV show, so some of you are kind of looking at me. It's, it's not on Netflix, I don't think. So, so this family love ended up destroying. Uh, you, know, you ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? Yeah, yeah, guys, put that picture up. How many of your family photos look like that? I'm just curious. Some of you Appalachians, you know, with the guns and, the, you know, they've got their guns. So, you know, the, the Hatfields and McCoys. I'm not sure if these are the Hatfields and McCoys. It's one of them. It's a picture I found on, on the Internet. And uh, the Hatfield and McCoys, we all know the story. It's in West Virginia, and, and, and they're a feuding family, and, and, and they love the family. They, they love themselves as a family. But this extreme family love leads to violence. See, there can be meism even in a family. Even when we have family love, we can have meism. And meism damages relationships. Meism, even in a family, can isolate us from others. And, and God has more in mind for you and I than, than meism, worshiping ourselves. And we've been talking about how the church is God's instrument to allow us to escape meism and live for something better, something greater. That, that God has more in mind for us than just to live for ourselves. That, that as we live towards generosity, as we live towards love, as we live towards others, there's more for us in living like that 
than just living for ourselves. I think even, even if you were to ask anybody outside this place, that they would say to live a selfish life is not to live a fulfilled life. And so the church is God's instrument. This gathering of us, this place is God's instrument to move us past meism. And I believe one of the things that we do or need to do is that we need to accept the church as more than just something we do. But, but accepting the church as family moves me past meism. As I begin to see this gathering and this group as something more than an organization or just something I do on a Sunday morning, when we begin to see that church is family, then God can move us in a better way towards an unselfish life. Who can remember, it used to be if somebody joined the church, what would we sing? I'm so glad I'm a part of the... You see, the first service didn't sing it either. It was really anticlimactic. Yeah, I was hoping you guys would sing it and just pick it up. You know, we, we used to say in the church, we used to call each other brother and sister, mainly because we couldn't remember each other's names, and that was just easier. But, but it did mean something to call brother and sister. When I grew up in the church, everyone that was over, and see, you know, now it'd be insulting because they would think of me as grandpa, uh, but everybody over 40 years old was grandma and grandpa this and that. You know, we, we referred to people in that way, that that, that was kind in the small churches I grew up in. Anybody else? Can Are we tracking with anybody else? Church was brother, sister, grandma, grandpa. And there was just this ideal of church as family. And you see this in Scripture, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So so this is a theme that you see throughout scripture. And and there's many scriptures I go to to, that that talks about this ideal as church as family, that, that we belong to the family of God, that, that the, the ideal of good, good father and us being the children of God is throughout scripture. L- later on in, in this book, in Ephesians, Paul will compare the ideal of um, a marriage between a husband and wife as being the same as Christ and his church. And and so this relationship of marriage has this holy connotation that that God values that relationship and and it it represents how God views his church and Christ views his church. And so your marriages matter. Your families matter. Later on in the book of Ephesians, it it talks about how parents and kids should get along. So family matters in, 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 in the scriptures. It's an important thing. We've been talking about as staff about what we can do to, to partner with you. Uh, not just in your families, but in your marriages. And, and so June Ackley's been working with her nephew who's um, uh, at Countryside, and, and we're looking at offering another marriage seminar, uh, a time together where we can, you know, not, not that everybody has it all together, but we can come together and kind of talk about these issues and talk about how we can build stronger relationships and stronger, stronger marriages. And so this will be sometime in the spring, and I've asked uh, June to begin working on finding us a date. And so if if you're interested in that, if that's something that you're in, send me an email. 
Send me a text. You, you could send it. You could pull your smartphone right now out and check your fantasy football and send me a text or an email and say, hey, pastor, I'm interested in that. I don't have my phone, so it won't ring. But, but, but you're welcome to do that. Send, send me a text. Send me an email. Get a card. And you can actually write with a pen and drop it in the box. We, we want to know if you're interested or would participate in a marriage seminar of some type. And we do all that we can with our families. Um, the, 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 there's a reason that, that Josh and Mara put what they taught in the bulletin. Because we believe that if it's just, if raising our kids with spiritual values is just about an hour or two hours on Sunday, we will fail. That, that we need you, we, that we need to invest in our families, and we need to join with our families. And, and so we, we want to give you resources, and we're looking at other ways that we can provide resources for you so, so that we can disciple our kids together. We're in this together. So family matters. It matters to me. It matters to the church. It matters to this church. It matters to God. And it matters particularly in these scriptures. I think it's important that we see the context of the scripture that I just read out of Ephesians 2, uh, verses 19 through 22. In, in verses 11, it begins like this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by, through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And this one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both have access to the Father by one spirit." And then we get into what I read. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. I think it's important that we consider what Paul's saying there. Paul's saying some of you were Gentiles and some of you were Jews. So some of you were pagans and idol worshipers and some of you were God worshipers. Some of you were slaves, and some of you were masters. Some of you were Greeks and Romans and Ephesians, and you were all these different types of people. What's the song say? Red and yellow, black and white. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different personal convictions. That in the church, there were Jewish people with very particular personal convictions that had to let go of or allow people to join them as family who did not share the same personal convictions, that didn't eat the same kind of food, that, that didn't perform the same kind of rituals, 
That, 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 that didn't... See, the Jewish people even had a particular way they washed their hands. These were people that were just coming to the table without washing their hands like they had been trained by grandma and grandpa to do. And God was bringing all these people together as church. See, see God radically includes all in his family. Now, now some will take that and say, oh, he's just saying everybody, that this is some unit. No, no, don't, don't mishear me. This is about people seeking God. But this, there's this radical inclusion in the early church of those who are willing to lay aside the past and begin to move towards Jesus Christ. And this radical inclusion becomes a testimony to their culture. That, that, that in this early church, this joining of Gentiles and Jews, this joining of slave and master, that this joining of every culture and every color, this joining, and see, this isn't radical to us, but it would have been radical to them, this joining of men and women in the same gathering, worshiping together, leading together, was radical. And they loved each other. I'm reminded, Jesus says to the disciples, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And the truth is, it's not hard most of the time to love your family. It's not hard most of the time to love your friends. And so what Jesus is talking about is about this radical inclusion where we even love people that do not share exactly the same values, likes, and dislikes as ourselves. We love them. And the outside world looks at that and says there's something unique or special about those people. They love in a way that we've never seen. Imagine that. You're sitting next to your master. And, and we, I don't understand all those connotations, but you're sitting next to your master and you're his slave and you're worshiping God together. And yet you love one another. See, there's a radical call to inclusion in God's family. Not, not just with people who share our likes and dislikes, not just with family. I celebrate family, but this radical inclusion. <laughs> is more than family. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Sometimes a cell phone's better than a joke. Uh, this radical inclusion. See, when we limit church to our blood family, we can, we can still become me-centered. When we limit church connections to those who have similar interests and we consider friends, church can, can become a clique. And both of these are forms of me-ism. 
See, see, we can be friendly with each other, but not really be open and vulnerable to each other. We can be loving to our family and friends and not be loving like God's called us to be loving. So what's the answer? You know, we've been talking about practices, and last week we talked about the practices of just being here, <laughs> that to commit to the church. I believe the church has a significant value in our life, and I think being here matters. And what's the practice for this? And I call it radical hospitality. This radically opening up your home and yourself to other people. Um, why did Priscilla move back? You guys sick of hearing about that? Hey, you know, sorry, I'm going to keep talking about it because we're happy about it, okay? Uh, why did Priscilla move back and we get the house together? And, you know, so we're, we're getting a room together and we're cleaning. We're actually buying groceries. Uh, you know, Spencer complains about not having groceries, but that doesn't matter. He's been with us. So we get groceries for Wyatt and Priscilla. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting the house all ready. And, and that's hospitality. It is hospitality. But, man, it cost me nothing. I, I do that a hundred times to have one of my kids in my house, even for a short time. To have somebody I love there. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was no sacrifice at all. Radical hospitality opens up our home for people that maybe we don't have the same connection to. Anybody ever, who's Superman fans out there? Yeah, Superman. Remember Superman had a place, what was it called? Where he'd go to be by himself. For you win the nerd award. Thank you. Thank you for yelling that out, Russ. Uh, the fortress of solitude. <laughs> Man, that wasn't very nice at all, was it? The fortress of solitude. And Superman had this fortress of solitude. I think Lois Lane got to go to it, but I don't think Jimmy ever got to go to it, right? Or the editor of the paper is just Lois Lane. And oftentimes we, we look at our homes as a fortress of solitude. That it's our place to only be with those that we're close to. And there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's nothing wrong with having space. Can, can I tell you, I love you all, but I don't want you in my home all the time, okay? Uh, you know, that, 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 that's just the truth. But, but you don't want me in your home all the time either, right? All of us need a space, a time where we can go and decompress. But is that it? What if our homes are gifts God has given us to bless others? What if our home, my home, was not just mine, but I was a steward of my home? And God has given me this home so that I can bless others from time to time. You know, we talk about that with terms of money. And the truth is, I, I, we tithe, and, and sometimes we've made it where we didn't know how we were going to make it. We know God has multiplied and been generous to us. I believe God has blessed us, uh, not, not by winning the lottery, you know, may, maybe next time, I don't know. But, but, but he's blessed us, I believe that. What if you're withholding the blessing of God because you don't see your home as something that you're a steward of, but you see it as something that you own, and you never open it up? to anyone else. I'm convinced. Church that is only this place and this time will never truly be church. That, that if this is it, 
It, it may make us feel good. It may, it may move us a little bit further down the line, but we will never truly function as the church if this is it. I see my friend Bill Hoff back there. And um, you know, I can think about some times at Tri-County where uh, Bob would take us out in the country and try to kill us and survival, survivor camps. And, and, uh, but, but I can remember times at Frisch's where after a Sunday night we'd go eat or La Rosa's, best pizza in the world. Um, Skyline, okay, well, we'll come over here. La Rosa's, the best pizza in the world. <laughs> I can remember those times. And to be honest, Tri-County was formative to me not simply because of Sunday morning worship experience, but because of the connections we made outside the church. And I can truly stand before you and say, I have been changed by my connection to a church because we were more than just Sunday morning. See, a church that's just an hour or two on Sunday morning will never have the impact on your life that God intends it to have. So practical application, we have family table tonight. Isn't that convenient that I'm preaching on that? We have family table at 5 p.m. It's an opportunity to spend time with, with, with other families, maybe in the first service that typically you don't see, maybe somebody that you don't know as well. I am getting the pizza. We, we are having a youth group event tonight. I am getting the pizza and the drinks. You guys just need to bring chips. What was it, Amy? BYOC, where BYOC, bring your own chips, or cookies, or whatever you want to bring, if you want to bring a side. And we're just going to, you know, it's not going to be a service. There, there's not going to be an in-depth Bible study. I think the only questions I'm going to ask you to, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is when you sit at the table, kind of talk about a time when church meant a lot to you. And then we'll pray. And so I'm encouraging you, come out at 5 o'clock. Pizza and tea. I, I didn't get pop. So if you need pop, there's places that sell that, I believe, okay? And you can bring, you know, your jug and... and five o'clock. What time? Five o'clock, okay? Invite somebody. Send a text to somebody. Uh, somebody that maybe you'd like to, to know more that you don't feel like you, you know. And, and that's a dangerous thing. I thought about that after I, I said that in the first service. You send a text to somebody say, hey, I want to be a better friend with you and get to know you better. If that person thinks you're the closest friend in the world, that may cause some hurt feelings. So be careful about that, okay? Uh, but, but invite somebody. Invite someone over to your house, not just a friend. Invite someone for coffee. The truth is, I've been drawn to this book, though, for, because of chapter 4. And, and, and I fell in love with the rest of the book because I thought I should read the whole book and kind of get it in context. And, and, and I was in chapter 4 because of the reaction to the phrase laity or layperson. And, and, and I began to look at that, and, and, the, and the phrase laity is not a biblical word. It's a French word. And it came about in the 16th century. So, so what you had, you had the Protestant Reformation, and they said the priesthood of all believers, in other words, all of you are, are mediators of God's covenant. Everyone in here. And then we began to use the word laity, because then there's clergy and then there's laity. And, then, and, and laity is somehow in the ministry less. But that's not the biblical perspective. See, see the biblical word in... In Ephesians 4, the biblical concept is saints. 
Look to your neighbor and tell him you're a saint. All right? Tell him you're a saint. Yeah. Saints are holy ones. And as I began to trace out this series, really the, the series was going to revolve around these questions. What if a saint worked at your place of business? Well, what if a saint went to your school? What if a saint lived in your neighborhood? What if God placed a church full of saints or holy ones right in the middle of Marysville? And of course, biblically, the answer is, if you're following Jesus and you're going to your workplace, guess what? There's a saint at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood. And God has placed, I believe, a church full of holy ones and saints in the middle of Marysville, not just this church, but other churches. So today, the question that came back to me was this. What if our kids grew up in a church? Full of saints who loved them like their own kids. <laughs> you know, I'm thankful. I grew up in those kind of environments. My churches weren't perfect. <laughs> we had some oddballs in my churches, right? <laughs> who had oddballs in their churches? Who's looking at the oddball in the church right now, right? And you're looking at me? <laughs> but they were full of saints that loved us like we were were their own kids. What does that mean? It means it's a safe place for questions. It's a place to grow. It's a place to learn. It's a place to make mistakes and still be loved. It's a place to be wrong and still be loved. I am convinced You can't convince me any other way that God intends the church to be that kind of place. See, what happens is when our kids make mistakes, when our kids are wrong, and that's what they see from us, they leave this place. And so instead of being surrounded by holy ones or saints, they're surrounded by people who are antagonistic to God, and that's who's answering their questions. I want my kids, particularly when they're screwed up, That's a Latin word, so it's okay. I want my kids, when they're screwed up, to stay right here so they can ask their questions and feel safe and loved. I want my adults, when they get off track, to be able to stay here with their questions and their doubts and their hang-ups and their hurts and still ask real questions and still be loved by the people of God. That's my ministry. Of the, that's my vision of the church. Um, a place where broken, hurt people, people with questions can gather and together Together, God can use this place to form us into something better. So what's our ministry to emphasize? Student ministries. We need you. Uh, we have in the back wall, we have a, a, I don't know what you call those, that, that, that thing that's standing back there. Uh, you have a, one of the chalkboards is for all in, which was last week. Then you have for students and you have for, for our, our, our respond youth ministries. And, and we're asking you to be a part. There's so many of you that are involved and we really, really appreciate all you do. But we need more. 
you know, sometimes the, the volunteer um, pool can get kind of shallow and, and people can become overcommitted and burned out. And oftentimes in the church, it's not that you don't have people that are committed. It's just you have not enough committed people and the people that are committed just get worn to a frazzle. So we need you. Mara needs you. Josh needs you. And so if you take a card, there's no commitment. It's just an opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to think about this. I, in the first service, we talked about this, and I think it's okay with Josh and, and, and Mara, that, that we would invite you, if you don't know, take a time just to walk for a period, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, three weeks, with somebody and just kind of shadow them in what they do and just allow God to begin to speak. I, I'm convinced of this. There are people out there this morning that are hearing my words that God is calling you to work with our kids and teens. And the truth is, you may think, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm smart enough or ready enough. You know, God sometimes prepares us in the task. Uh, one, of the, one of the smartest things Dan would do at Tri-County is when somebody would get feel like a call, what he would do is he'd just put them in a ministry. And, and I saw many people, including myself, that Dan put me in a ministry I wasn't ready for, but the ministry made me ready. And so the truth is, maybe you don't feel like you're ready. God may use that ministry as an opportunity to prepare you for even more. I'm going to ask Pastor Bob to come and close us in prayer.